Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the southernmost point of Dorne to the lands of always winter and what is west of Westeros and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk. No shadows coming from Mordor today because we, of course, are talking about the House of the Dragon, episode two, The Rogue Prince. Oh, a high-tension episode with a lot to lot to get to, a lot of themes, a lot of fun things, picking up from the heat last week, and of course, I'm not going to do this alone. Alden Diaz is here, but also returning to Casterly Talk. It was just a matter of time, schedule, and dragon eggs. Uh, please welcome back to the show, the one and only Rachel Cushing-Levine. Everyone is here. Hello, friends. Rachel, how are you? It's so good to be back. I wore my drink and no things t-shirt just for you guys. <laughs> you do both of those things. You drink. I do those very well. <laughs> you drink some wine and you know things. You know this world. You know these books. You know this lore. And you know the themes. You know what we're talking about. So so, so good to have you here. Uh, you are our own... Um, you're our own... I was going to say our, our own Galadriel, but that's uh, next week, maybe. That's next week. Yeah. Alden... Good to have you back, and good, good to have you formally meet uh, Rachel via the power of the internet tonight here. Yeah, it's it's an honor. I mean, I've, I've seen you, Rachel, actually don the armor of one Brienne. I've seen you. I've seen you also inspire fear as Galadriel um, during a test, of course. We're not going to hold it against Galadriel. Um, and yeah, it's, it's great to be here. Um, I, you know, I, I was listening to Casterly back when you were breaking things down during season seven, eight, feels like ages ago, but... Yeah, it's great to be here. I mean, not much to talk about in this one, though. Nothing really happened. Very chill. Why are we here? Yeah, very yeah. chill episode. <laughs> Why are we here? Why are we here, indeed? Uh, we're going to get into this episode. Uh, Rogue, The Rogue Prince. Uh, Greg Yatini's the director. Writer is Ryan Condal. Of course, uh, the credited writer. There's a lot of names that go into this show. A lot of executive producers. It's been fun kind of looking at the new list of names uh, next to some of the old favorites. Let me do a quick summary. We'll dive on into our overall thoughts. Six months after the death of Aemon Targaryen, the question of when King Viserys I shall marry again and to whom it shall be hangs over the realm. Corlys Velaryon and Prince Rhaenys wanted to be their daughter Lena, but Otto Hightower is pushing his daughter Allison closer and closer to the king. I'm sensing a theme with these parties. Who the king marries is important as the Targaryen line is vulnerable, especially after the rogue prince Daemon Targaryen has set up shop at Dragonstone, the ancestral home in Westeros, for House Targaryen, and Damon has taken members of the City Watch, Massaria, and stolen an egg of Dreamfire, the same egg Rhaenyra, the rightful princess of Dragonstone, selected to sit in the cradle of her brother, Balon, who, of course, passed away tragically. With the crab feeder and the triarchy causing problems in the Stepstones, the court politics starting to fray the seams of the realm, and many ambitious souls starting to feel burned, the peace enjoyed by the land for decades is being pushed to the brink. 
Oh, let's dive in. Rachel, I want your <laughs> overall thoughts here. And yes, we are going to discuss the opening credits. That's part of it. But how are you feeling after this episode? I feel really, really good and a little bit relieved mm-hmm. because it feels like Condal and the writing team, Martin, and everybody's involved in the show is kind of going back to the old school Game of Thrones formula in the first few seasons by letting things breathe, by giving mm-hmm. us conversations between two people in all of these scenes to really set the groundwork for what these characters are about to go through. Um, They fast forwarded six months, but that's really not that much, especially to those who know of us who know the story, but even for, you know, like Sam watched with me today and he doesn't know anything. So he was able to keep up. And I just, I mean, the acting is so top notch that I just loved living in all of these conversational scenes Mm -hmm. where uh, honestly, like to jump ahead a little bit, I think communication is such a theme mm-hmm. in this episode, how people talk to each other, the the language mm-hmm. of girls and, and different ages and, and, you know, how awkward it can be and how difficult it can be. Um, but I really, really appreciate that the writers are taking the time to give all of that to us to set the stage for the big moments. And of course, Renira did get her big moment um, on Cyrax at Dragonstone, which I was very cheering loudly for. So, um, but I, I really, really liked this episode mostly because I felt like, they're not just going to go, you know, big moment to big moment to big moment. They're going to let us care and understand these characters in the way that they did in the early seasons of Game of Thrones. Yeah, before yeah, before all uh, hell breaks loose, but hell is already breaking loose. I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I love I love what you're saying there, and I can't wait to discuss that theme with you. Yeah, and and uh, this episode is called the Rogue Prince, but uh, Rachel texted me earlier and said, can, we, "Can this episode? Can we just call it the the language of girls?" Which Works very well. And I also think uh, the this if this was an emo song, it would be called Even Dragons Get Lonely, which was a great line. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of good lines in this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I love that. Great opening salvo there for Rachel and what the, she thinks of this episode, what we're going to discuss, but all the overall thoughts uh, from you. Yeah, I mean, just building off of that, you know, you're talking about those classic Game of Thrones moments and everything that built the show into what it was and and was able to break through to the non-fantasy fans and everything with the intrigue and the politicking. It felt to me like a beautiful synthesis of everything that they built Game of Thrones upon and everything that they had earned cinematically by the end when they had all the money and they had the world in the palm of their hand because this was able to deliver the height of Game of Thrones intimacy just teeny tiny conversations, one of which has a 12-year-old in it who, when we'll get to her and and her almost role, which, mm-hmm. thank God, someone had sense um, mm-hmm. in, in this realm. But mm-hmm. it also was not afraid to go where the meat was. Next interesting event is six months later, time skip it. We have mm-hmm. to go to Dragonstone, time skip it. We have to go to Driftmark, time skip it. Mm-hmm. And that was something that got a lot of heat in season mm-hmm. sevens and season eight. But when you combine the two, and when you're doing the time skipping, but then every time you get there, you stop mm-hmm. and you breathe. Mm-hmm. It felt like really like, hey, doesn't mean we're going to stop doing what we did over there when you didn't like it. It just means we're going to learn yeah. and we're going to try to attempt mm-hmm. it differently. Yeah, I love that. I love that. We got to yeah, mix the old new, which, which has been, you know, listening to Miguel Sapochnik, uh, uh, well, and Ryan Condal, but. 
uh, specifically Sabachnik, who who was there for so many great moments in, in the in the prior show and the previous show. And you know, you, we're never going to. I've even got a comparison between the two shows this week because it's going to be hard not to, at least for a while. Yeah. But yeah, to take the mm-hmm. sprinkle a little bit of this, a little of that. But uh, I think both of you are landing on uh, what was the highlight of this episode for me. Some of the some slow roasting moments where you're going to go back to these kind yeah. of conversations years from now, no matter how long the show runs or this particular story runs in the show. You're going to be like, oh. Remember when Renera and Rainey's talked? Oh my God, that was a great moment. It's a lot of good stuff there. But we we kind of uh, we we don't want to bury the lead too too much uh, longer here. Opening credits. They they took that week off, which I understood. I don't. I'm not going to pound my fist, but just I just wanted to see them. And Rachel, uh, you've uh, already said that you're pretty excited about these credits here, right? Yeah, I mean, it was twofold. One, it was that they kept the music, mm-hmm. um, and so like. To this day, whenever I do a rewatch, I never fast forward through the credits. It's like one of my favorite yes. things about the show um, mm-hmm. and the way they used it. But they did their own thing here, too, which very much tied into so much that was going on in the story with old Valeria yeah. and the, the the seals and the blood. And, you know, they, I think there's 14 of them. So, like, my mind went to the 14 volcanoes and Val- Valeria and then, again, Viserys later in the episode talking about the fire... Uh, yeah blood mages so like all of that we're getting so much more about targaryens in this show which seems like an obvious thing to say but the idea of where they came from and why they're here which was that incredible revelation from last season uh, last episode excuse me at the end from viserys bringing all of that in the there's a um a sense of what the targaryens are where they came from why they are where they are comparing them to dragons and then the fact that it's you know blood and fire so i just Mm. i really loved all the symbolism in it and i have no doubt that people are going to screen grab every one of those seals and and (laughs) and dissect all of it and i I will be very excited to to go through all of that kind of stuff but it really felt very targaryen and Mm, right for for what um this story really is with uh you know the dance I, I love that there. And this is, uh, yeah, number one, why well, Rachel's uh, on the team, but also she's right. There's We, we dig into themes here. We, we approach breaking down these uh, shows and episodes a little bit different than maybe other channels. So there's wonderful Easter egg channels out there, and I'll be watching them too because uh, I want to track that as well. But I was just like this. I, I love that music. I just was drooling over the music. Yeah. And it is like we were talking about earlier, Alden. Uh, it's a, a little sprinkle of old, a little sprinkle of new. Rachel's so right. It does kind of tell the story. I can I see that opening, uh, the opening credits and i just want to scream the blood of old valeria but we also have the familiar music it's like we're back home yeah i mean i texted you immediately and this is our wrestling reference of the week but i I use the phrase mark out when you just forget that it's staged and you forget that you know the business and you hear the undertaker's music and you're a kid again i heard the game of thrones theme and i had it's like time slowed down so i could process that it was the same theme yeah. Um, because that was a big question. And I right. didn't want to know the answers. If people yeah. didn't know, I didn't look into it because I wanted to hear it. Um, if it was indeed gonna be new, but it wasn't. But in the same way, and I don't want to do the whole like let me use my speaking time to push back on the internet, but already is talks of <laughs> is that a lazy choice to just use the and to that I say, was it lazy in Empire Strikes Back when it was the same theme from Star Wars? Like it's the in the same way that the crawl is the content the visuals here are complementing the familiarity. Mm. So it is 50% new and 50% uh, uh, old in the sense yeah. that this is the music of this world. And now I'm wondering, 
if the Jon Snow sequel goes, if the Sea Snake Snow, uh, Sea Snake Show goes, that was hard to say. <laughs> sea Snake Show, uh, seashells. Then are they going to keep that theme? And mm-hmm. it feels like uh, you know George R. R. Martin's got that purple seal that comes up now at the end of the episodes. Like this feels like a big moment of okay, this is the musical identity of the entire thing. This is the world, Rachel. Right? Does this does that make you feel like it's the world with the same music? It definitely does, because so often you see less in television, more in movies, like, you know, sequels will look a little different. People will look different. The the locations you're used to might have some changes made or whatnot, but that has definitely not been the case here. I mean, other than throwing more money at it so they can do more. I mean, think about the first tournament from Game of Thrones and the right. first tournament that was, we saw last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. But, right um, point, yeah. But the, but the idea that this is absolutely the same world and we can trace lines directly to what we've already mm-hmm. watched and gr- loved or whatever you think about season eight, yeah. but still that it's all part of one thing, I think is very important for the overarching plan that HBO mm-hmm. has with all of the, the stories because they are all... And this one's proven it too with, again, that that um, dream that we heard about last week. We're all pointing towards, it's like we saw the end of the story. We saw mm-hmm. the Game of Thrones. We saw the long second long night. We saw the defeat and everything else. But there's so much behind it, so much that happened that led mm-hmm. up to it, things that we know and things that we don't. So it still has to all be cohesive. Mm-hmm. And just by using that music, that is a, a huge touch to bring it all together. And it's like every sequel ever made, how much do you take from the original and how much do you bring in that's new? And yeah. thus far, I'm very happy with the balance. That's, I, I really love hearing that, particularly uh, from you, Rachel, who's been living with this property since the 90s, right? <laughs> this, is, this has been in your blood. Uh, with the, the 90s? The, the books. Oh, the, all right. this was, they, they had these back in the day. Yeah, they made, they, made, uh, they made books out of these shows. Alden, uh, they made books out of these shows. No, I <laughs> love hearing that. And I think you're right. And, and not for nothing. It's pretty good music. You know, but also right. Yeah. It's just you know, it's, it's always good. I mean, it's it's like like Rachel, you said, it's a no skip. This and the and the Peacemaker opening credits are the definitive <laughs> no skips of of my lifetime. And it's just it's so refreshing to see them connect visuals and then and music and character and theme. You talked about the old Valeria stuff. I mean, that was something that I immediately said to Ken. I was like, oh the the way that that lingers over everything with a sense of dread, but also a sense of appreciation, depending on who you're talking to. Mm-hmm. If it's Viserys, it's all these traditions that I'm really into and I love and I appreciate and I give my notes to the stonesmiths and all that. Allison is learning some of that. Mm-hmm. But then on the far other end, you've got younger brother who is also touting tradition here mm-hmm. and touting their history. And you could tell that maybe these two brothers poured over the books together mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, but one of them is going to uh, take the family lake house, throw a rager, and send egregious texts in the group chat. <laughs> <laughs> very true, very true. Let's dive into some. Of the, yeah, let's dive into some of the the big moments and get into the themes. It all kind of, we just dump all the words on the table and uh, and dive in here. So, so Rachel, I want to start with you. Some of your big moments and some of the big themes that, that jump out to you in this episode here. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, it definitely felt, um, I think that the, the biggest thing I felt, I watched, I managed to get two watches in right. and the very last line from Corliss about um, where the realm second sons are worth isn't given, it must be made. And I realized that they used the word worth a lot in the episode and also in the um, little documentary piece behind mm-hmm. the scenes at the end of it. And it struck me as so many of these characters are, trying to figure out what their worth is, how they can get it, how they can prove it, how they can maintain it, how they can increase it. And I felt like the entire trajectory was everybody taking that into their own hands in some way, shape or form. So Mm. Rhaenyra, the big moment with Cyrax and arriving um, on Dragonstone, because through the episode, you could tell she's been named heir, but like she's not, she's still the cupbearer, as Mm -hmm. Rainey's points out. And yeah. she wants to give yeah. her opinion at the small council, but they're like, yeah, no, go choose, choose the new King's guard. Yeah. You know, so like she's, she's got good ideas. They're not all exactly right. Her father even says, you know, it's more complicated than that. You just can't send dragons. Where have we heard that before? <laughs> Do we, we're dragon rides. Just go send the dragons. Like it, yeah. there's, there's more nuance to it, but you can tell she's trying to prove her worth because mm. she does know the truth that Rainey's told her. She does mm. understand that like, this is a massively uphill battle for her to to be fighting um so i just thought it was interesting because i also think in somewhat parallel parallel way mm-hmm. allison was doing the same yeah. so even though she's very small scenes with viserys and then that one with her father which again is very telling like last week's mm-hmm. she is trying to find her way i think she genuinely likes viserys i think yeah. that yeah. she is like-minded to him like rhaenyra is like-minded to Damon and Corlys, like they think mm-hmm. a certain way. And Viserys is such a compromise. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to run into any. The only time he ever makes brash decisions is when Damon provokes him into it. Yeah. Everything else, it's so, so like he just he just wants to, you know, preserve the realm, make everybody happy, work on his um models, and and then he finds <laughs> a kindness in her. And she finds in him a kindness that her dad's lacking. Mm -hmm. So they really do kind of go together. And I think she's trying to find her way beyond just being a pawn in her father's game with doing all of this. So I I think that's interesting. And then obviously you have all the, the, the people fighting for Corliss um, and, and Otto and then Damon, of course, you know, Mm he's trying he's he's sinking like his his level of power just sinks every day that goes by and he's feeling at a loss for it like what how do i grasp onto this so he acts out like a child and sends those crazy texts and and all of this stuff (laughs) and nearly gets himself into trouble but then rhaenyra calls his bluff and a scene that i just adored her being like i'm it i'm the thing that's in your way the thing that Mm. you know you kill me all your problems are solved Mm. and who doesn't do it yeah. So I love the idea of everybody trying to figure out their place, figure out their worth and how 
again, mm-hmm. some of us knowing where they go with it, but generally being on the journey to see how each of them tries to navigate that. This is wonderful stuff. Yeah, absolutely, Rachel. This is probably a key word that I would say would be at the top of the show, worth. And everything that I think Alden and I are going to throw at the wall here probably flows nicely into that theme. Uh, This idea, I I have uh, the idea of the order of things uh, and Mm -hmm. what it is. But really, when you learn the order of things or as you learn it, it, it's how you deal with it into the storm or around it, which is a theme that comes up. I love that. Yeah, great. it's a great quote. And, and uh, there's some great quotes that we were already talking about. My favorite, this is not, has nothing to do with what you're talking about. All of you, sheath the fucking steel. <laughs> Might be one of the best. So good. Um, so good. Uh, auto doing good, but all that kind of flows nicely. It's like, how how do you find your worth? And you're right. Just the look on Damon's face when he's standing up there, Dragonstone stone going, oh man, my worth is kind of falling down the charts here. Uh, so Alden, t- uh, jump in here and, and build off that because I think you have some things that line up really nicely, like, nicely with worth. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the battle that's happening here for people's status, everybody's approaching it from the angles of what they're, what their, you know, their stature is right now. So Corliss is approaching it from everything that I've built and what I stand to lose. Mm. And then you look at somebody like Masaria, who's, I have nothing mm. and, but, but they're still lower to sink. And I have still seen lower despite having nothing and how there's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you sit there and you're like, well, that's a great point. That's a great <laughs> point to every single person because yeah. the, the, the universal qualities mm. of the emotionality and like the mm. way that everybody is functioning um, really struck me this time. I I'm, I did not expect this to have this like passion for like defending Allison Hightower that I have. Yeah. Um, I mm. these first two episodes, I I want to a punch out her dad. That's the first thing. Like screw that guy. But also just like she is one of the rare in this entire HBO Game of Thrones verse, uh, purely kind at this point individuals that is being utterly and completely taken advantage of because. She's being used as this pawn. And so that's how someone sees her worth. And then she tries to spin that in the best way she can into some genuine kindness. I'm being sent to this king. I'm not entirely a moron about it. I mean, you can see that the nervousness is coming from the fact that she knows she's being used. Mm-hmm. She knows that over these six months when you get the, are you going to go see the king tonight? It's uh, it's dreadful every single time. Mm-hmm. But she has taken that and has you know, made the choice to imbue that with kindness. And Mm -hmm. she's trying to show her worth in those ways. The problem is, does the way that everybody chooses to express their worth matter in this world? And in a perfect world, yes, kindness would matter. In a perfect world, we would have Allison Hightowers and Samuel Tarleys all over the place, but we don't. And how do those people get to function? How do they, how do they, how are they able to respond? What kind of breathing room are they given? And she makes the most of these moments through gifts and gestures and through active listening and through her making the connection like in episode one of nobody ever just told me they were sorry for my loss. Mm. And then here it's the, you know, I, I am able to empathize with both you and your daughter. I'm able to empathize with the fact that you guys don't have a, a strong basis of communication right now. And so her worth to me is as a very, very, uh, intuitive, emotionally intuitive person, but does the realm value that in the same way that maybe Viserys does? The irony being that Viserys was supposed to be the realm; he's the king, mm-hmm. but everybody keeps tearing that down. And and it, you know, power resides where men think it resides, and that's yeah. the whole 
know, yeah. we're one, still there. One of the other themes uh, that I enjoyed this episode is I, I, I made it a game show. Can you name the real threats to the realm? And it's usually oh, yeah. the calls are coming from inside the house here. But uh, kick it back <laughs> to you, uh, Rachel, on some big stuff here and what Alden was saying. Feel free to go where you want to on this. But uh, he meant, Alden mentioned, like, oh, I'm kind of rooting for Allison, which is what Emily Carey uh, was saying uh, going into this show, they, they were saying, like, I think it's very important that we're going to go back to see Allison at this time because you're going to see what you think or what you might know, especially if you're a book reader later on. You're, you're going to see it form a little bit more. And I keep going to this idea, Rachel, of you have Renera and Allison and, and you have what is in front of them, including the horrendous uh, tragedy of Emma real world controversy aside, just that moment in, in their lives. You have what's placed in front of them. You have this idea. This, this is absolutely a show that is, is uh, in many ways about the, the, the patriarchy and the system of tradition that keeps power uh, uh, for those who already have it. And they're in this system and they're trying to face how, they, how, how their worth in it. And you have Allison kind of trying to find my place in it. And Rhaenyra maybe trying to, again, go into the storm, Allison going around the storm. How is this all of you hitting, hitting, hitting for you, especially you, Rachel, someone who I remember when this show was first announced, you were like, oh, Allison Hightower. Like, you already were saying the name. You were ready for it. So I want to catch uh, up with you a little bit about what Alden was talking about and what the show's doing so far. Yeah, I think it was incredibly important for the show to realize that she's not just a plot point. I mean, we've mm-hmm. those of us that have read Rogue Prince, uh, The Princess and the Queen, and, and The um, Fire and Blood, yeah. you know, know where this is going, but you never... Got, at least I never really got from those stories too much about her personality. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. just sort of assumed that she's the pawn of her dad and she's in on the plan and, you know, to, to, to rip the rug off from under Rhaenyra. This instead is painting a completely different picture of mm-hmm. two women in this world approaching it very, very differently mm-hmm. um, with different kinds of pressures from their respective fathers in different ways. And she's just bringing a lot of, as Alden said, she's got such empathy and um, like a, a perspective that we don't often see in this show. And I'm really happy to see that. I mean, I don't necessarily know if that means I'm going to become a green when all of this is said and done. <laughs> right. But I do, I do appreciate the idea that everybody in this story is a person. And mm-hmm. whether they have a ton of agency or don't, whatever little pieces they can control, whatever decisions they can make or not make are always based on something. Mm-hmm. And here we're seeing the where her foundation is and also then yeah. the foundation of them together because that I think is just going to make everything all the more essentially heartbreaking yeah. um as we move forward. But I, yeah. I think both those I'm actually gonna be kind of sad when we move up to Emma Darcy and um Yes. Uh, <laughs> Olivia Cook, yeah. I was thinking that too. And and, and yeah, what yeah. a what a great problem, right? To have yeah, these, right. <laughs> this incredible pair and then say, oh, I'm so sad that I'm gonna move on to these other Right, great I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, Olivia Cook, you know, award nominee Emma Darcy's. They've got all of this this yeah. hype around them, and yeah, yeah, it's a great position to be in. But it's sad, right? I mean, you don't want to you don't want to see the end, but you can't have you know you need you need to see Anakin and Obi Wan during the war. You need to see <laughs> Xavier and Magneto build the school, yeah, uh, and before you can break it down. I love that there. And there's something that you said, Rachel, made me think of, of one of the scenes I loved in this episode. So many of those, again, those little building block scenes, but uh, Renera and Allison in the, in the sept and all those, the candles, mm-hmm. and it's a wonderful kind of sweet scene. But Allison already, I want to say hiding the truth in an accusatory way. 
but she's already aware of some of the stuff going on. Viserys has already said, hey, hey, uh, don't tell my daughter we've been talking uh, on any level, right? Like, uh, and, and, and to me, it's already this little small fracture. And it's painful, Rachel. It's painful to watch them because it's already there. Yeah. It's cracking. And it's not necessarily a fault. It's the system and the men at the top who are already playing them against each other. Yeah. When, like I said, at that, in my initial thoughts about the episode, I think communication is a massive theme in the, in the episode as well. You know, Viserys asking Allison, how do I talk to my daughter? And then Allison also having a scene with Rhaenyra and who doesn't know how to talk to her father. And, you know, and she's actually kind of the linchpin in trying to get them both to see it from the other perspective. Mm -hmm. And she's like one of those people, I don't know, I say this about myself all the time. I'm like, I'm really great at giving good advice to people, but I'm terrible at taking my own advice. And some, I see Allison in that way sometimes. Now she has more of a reason not to, which is, the way things are, the patriarchy, the way that her father is like, if my King says, I can't tell my best friend that we're talking, I really can't, but that's, that's a crack. And that will fester, you know, when, Mm. as the truth comes out, but she's kind of in a bit of an impossible situation there. Mm -hmm. But I just love the, the way that they talk to each other in each of those scenes. And then when you get Rhaenyra and Viserys together, did you notice in the first scene when they're in dinner, they're literally playing the sound effect of crickets. The crickets play through that entire scene. And like I caught it the second time and I was dying. I was like, this is brilliant because they're just eating. They're not talking and you just hear crickets. This, um, there's a lot of, I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'm sorry because there. Rachel's a professional editor for those that don't know. She's a great editor, an award nominating <laughs> yes. winning editor. And you would notice that like, oh, someone pulled in crickets for that scene. That's great. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's yeah. just a nod to, they don't know how to talk to each other. You know, uh, he doesn't understand the language of girls and she does. She is she keeps saying and everybody keeps saying, you know, the idea of the realm and duty. And Mm, this is, you know, the order of things, as you said, Ken. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Rhaenyra is spouting that stuff, but you can tell it's not really what she wants to be saying. And Mm -hmm. she starts to try to like, I'm sorry, I spoke up in the small council meeting. I I thought Mm -hmm. I might have a perspective. And then he just cuts her off and says, you'll learn. Um, and yeah. so they're kind of at odds there, but mm. their second conversation goes better after she comes back after, you know, avoiding the, the bloodshed at Dragonstone. And mm. he sort of recognizes that he admits, he says, I, I, I forgot to see you as a woman and I just didn't know how to communicate with you that way. So they start to come together, which is what makes the final scene so yeah. much heartbreaking because it's like, mm-hmm. this you're talking to your daughter. Now just tell her it's Allison. Tell her now. Tell her now, but Viserys, as we all know, yeah. is just a bit of a coward and wasn't yeah. willing to do that, couldn't do that. And then we get that scene at the end where not only Corliss walks off, but mm-hmm. so does Rhaenyra. And that's where <sighs> the recontextualization of episode one plays in because Viserys the coward has changed entirely now mm-hmm. with the pressure that, because there's the undertone of every Viserys and Rhaenyra uh, interaction now of we know something no one else knows that is lording over our entire existence now. And so that that was there for me in those scenes too. But what I love with the whole sort of, I don't know, you can't say Trinity, the, the quad of the Hightower's father-daughter and then the Targaryen father-daughter is the idea that is so universal and so real world of you can only to a certain degree pass on the styles and the uh, sensibilities that you were given you, know, you it's, it's really hard sometimes when you come from a home that is one way to then, you know, go out into the world 
and try to synthesize and change and find your own way, especially within this context. So Alicent can only function between these two Targaryens with the tools given to her by Otto Hightower. Like <laughs> she's supposed to have emotional, <laughs> emotional availability in a home with this man. And so <laughs> what are we able to pass down? What is Viserys able to pass down, but the paranoia and the dread and the insecurity that comes off of Jaehaerys's peacetime reign that yeah. he now is afraid of letting crumble. He says that to Corlys, like, is it not sort of on me to try to avoid this at all costs? Is yeah. that not what my duty is? So everybody's only working with what they've been given. And like we talked about a lot with episode one, mm. unlike Game of Thrones, and this is one of those sort of unavoidable comparisons, people in Game of Thrones faced their worst days well into the run. People in House of the Dragon are already facing their worst days. There isn't the same levity. People are already falling apart. Um, we caught everybody at a fever pitch. We caught a small council mm. that already is degenerating. Um, it did not take time. It didn't take a season. It just is already happening. And Damon and Viserys are falling apart for those same reasons. What were we given except mm. righteousness, pain? And so it's it's Great difficult stuff. to watch. Yeah, yeah, no, that we talked, Rachel, last week, uh, we, we had talked about uh, just uh, love everything so far. That's great. It's a very somber, stoic show. I need a drunk Tyrion every now and then. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, there's, and, and there yeah. isn't that really that role. I mean, you brought up the crickets, which is a right. great little beat, but the, <laughs> there, the sort of like mm -hmm. the very like well-placed awkward pauses with, mm -hmm. with that walk in the park of you know, mm -hmm. this king and this 12 year old, yeah, like some of that, yeah. it's like it, the uncomfortable quality of that. You're able to kind of be like, yeah. well, at least I know it's a good person walking with yeah. this child. Yeah. Like, thank God. Yeah. Uh, and there's, so. there's some comedy. I think I, I love the, uh, even though it was a great series, tense scene at the end, I, it was never my brother's strongest trade. What being king. I guess being it's, king. it's funny stuff there. Uh, this is great. <laughs> I, uh, I want to go into uh, this because I think it all, we're kind of in the same realm. Uh, you mentioned Rachel and I talked about the order of things, which is uh Brought up a few times, Rainey's says it a lot. And uh, I, what I, I just love, I want to go to that scene because uh, we've talked a lot about what's on my mind of Renera is still, she's the heir. You're still a cup bearer. Don't worry, little girl. You'll you'll learn your place and you, when you can talk. Don't worry, you'll get that. She's dealing with that. Allison's dealing with that. And then you have, you have this scene with Rainey's. I love this scene. Uh, I love this scene. It was from the trailers. A lot of promo shots came from the scene. They chopped it up a bit to set the tone for the the show. Um, so I'll just say this, and then Rachel, I'll, I'll kick it to you, then and, and and the three of us can discuss it. Uh, I, in a way, Rainey's is, is positioned as this, uh, you know, and this show is providing themes and lessons that can bleed over into the real world easily. She's positioned as this this woman who has experienced the firsthand pain uh, and the oppression of, of the patriarchy in this world, the system, uh, those who did not choose her, the queen who never was, all these things. Yet she seems tragically resigned to it. And then is kind of not in support of the next generation, Renera, and her idea of, well, cool, I'll build a new order. And Rainey's kind of has this, oh, no, no, that's that's not how you do it. And speaks these truths. Nothing she says is wrong. Everything she says is right. Everything deserves to be taken as a, as a point. The men would burn this world mm -hmm. down before they put us on the throne. And and I, I just, I love the scene. I loved how it positioned Rainey's. It's very real world. It's something about, we love talking about, especially in Star Wars side, it is about the old and the new. It is about the older generation passing things on to the new generation. That's change, that's growth, and those who fight it are usually coded as the villains. And and I'm not saying Rainey's is a pure villain here. Um, anyways, I, this scene inspired a lot of thoughts. Rachel, get in here and discuss what you loved about that scene and any themes that came pouring out of it. 
or lessons. Yeah, it's, it's an excellent scene, but it is kind of hard to watch because you do see what's happening with, because you can imagine very easily that Rhaenys was once like Rhaenyra when she was young and she married to Corlys and she was the eldest granddaughter of the old king and you know everything mm. looked like it could go her way and should um, have and should and, have maybe. and should have mm. but it was pulled, it was all taken away from her and this was the 16 years ago 17 years ago so she's had to sort of live with that and you could see it like last episode at the tournament where she's got to sit there kind of tight-lipped and watch mm. other people do the things that really by right she should have done and there's no way that doesn't sort of eat at you as a person yeah i'm also going to say that there is also in my mind and i love eve best in this role i think she's playing the nuances perfectly but there's also a piece of her that doesn't want rainier to succeed where she couldn't because rainier said the line they they didn't choose the whatever it's not that they didn't choose a woman it's that they didn't choose you right and so yeah. that could be that Rainey's wasn't the right one, not necessarily just because she was a woman, but because she was Rainey's mm-hmm. the woman. And now Rainier would be different. So there's just so many layers there that are understandable, but it's still heartbreaking because as a woman, like I've lived this in the idea I've had female mentors who have gone through it and whatnot and are still encouraging to those upcoming up. And then I've seen women that, you know, are so beaten down and disillusioned by uh, by all of it that they would rather give you the hard truths and say, don't bother. And mm-hmm. that's an extreme in this world compared to ours. So mm-hmm. that dynamic is really, really important. And I think that in my mind, all I could see was like a potential older version of Rhaenyra. Mm-hmm. Like Rhaenyra could go down this path and, and sort of end up in the same yeah. kind of a headspace, but she's still young. They still have that generational gap. She's still as headstrong and like going to do things against the rules without truly understanding the repercussions, mm-hmm. um, which is honestly the story of Rhaenyra through this whole thing in a lot of ways. So mm. again, like hard because you just want the two female characters to come together and be supportive but it's also painting the reality of this fantasy world in such a way that influences i think where rainier is going to go from here yeah well said rachel and alden i'll bring you in on this too yeah and and and, you know it goes without saying uh the 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 brand uh game of thrones sometimes uh doesn't have everyone's trust on how to handle some of these some of these issues and it came out of the gate strong and for better or worse that's a, a debate that's been going on this past week and I understand understand it all uh the show uh has to earn your trust and 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 I think it's you know up to up for debate and, and not for me to decide that's yeah and I love what you're saying about this scene it, it, it being one of my favorite scenes that is what I love about it. it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking for what Rainey's is even the setup before it uh when the 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 um conversation with her with her daughter and Viserys Lena and, and Viserys and you know she gives the speech that Corliss said here's what here's what you got to memorize here's what you got to say I, I and Viserys saying what did your mother tell you that I wouldn't have to bed you until I turned 14 which is you know, make we cr- kind of cringed in our house uh, here watching it tonight because it's just so, uh, you know, so just it is what it is, and, and you just kind of, but just have it to have that come from Rainey's to be like, here's what's really, here's what's really going to happen, but also I'm going to put you in this position, <laughs> daughter. Yeah. 
It was just part and of the heartbreak for me. And it also is a, it's another, I think, layer in sort of like the idea of communication and how people talk to each other and how, mm. you know, like it's all... her father saying this and then her mother saying this. And they're two very different realities because of the res- perspectives mm-hmm. of men and women are so different in this world. And this show is giving us a, an even clearer story about that because we have all these different women in different phases of trying to figure it out um, yeah. and potentially hopefully break new ground. But can they is sort can. of like the whole thing. But right. um, yeah, yeah, it just, it felt, it felt like giving the women their due without it being, mm. I, I still hate using the word realistic for a fantasy show because it, it causes problems like the debate from last yeah. episode. Yeah. Um, but it's still, it feels grounded. It feels Good. like, if you were Raina Rainies and you lived through all of this, this is where you'd be. And if you were Rhaenyra and these were the things that happened, this is where you would be and what they would do when they come together. That's yeah. what that scene is. Yeah. No. Mm-hmm. And, and so I keep, prom- I keep promising all that I'm going to bring in here, but I, <laughs> no, I'm having a great time. No, I really am. Like yeah. I'm sitting here and I'm just like, yeah, that's why. Well, Ra- Rachel, so I think, I think you're so right. And, and, and yeah, not, not to, you're so right. And not to, you know, dive headlong into some of the bigger controversies around the week. I, I always say I, I go to Star Wars to show me what could be. I go to Game of Thrones to analyze what is. And both have valuable lessons on how to avoid the darkness if you're looking for them. And I, I thought I thought the themes, the communication of last week's episode was pretty clear, though pretty brutal. I also think the intended audience, and I, I, I released a, a podcast about this on my personal page there. Um, from an old job I was in uh, for 17 years, I was surrounded by Game of Thrones fans. And these are the folks that you want to kind of... Um, speak to and, and, and get to and understand these are the, the these are the brutal men who are costing some of the problems and they love this show they love this world because cool badass violence i love that this show has been pretty direct two episodes in despite maybe hurting and doing some things that some people don't agree with in last week's episode and how it was presented i think you're getting to people who need to hear it and who are not normally affected by cutting away nicely or not hearing or hearing subtext. There's text in these episodes that's pretty clear. Uh, I hope everyone can get the lessons. That's not a, that's not guaranteed to happen. So that's just my yeah. thoughts on it. But uh, I really love your insight on it, Rachel, um, and how yeah, sometimes realistic is the word used, but grounded. I like what you're saying because also, by the way, we're gonna watch Rings of Power and we're gonna get uplifted in hopefully different ways. This brand yeah. is darker. This brand is grounded. Better or worse? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, don't know. I mean. It's sort of it's those universal ideas like what is grounded. It, it's truthful. It's it's human. It's all those things. You know, Rachel, you were talking about this is sort of a, a version of the future. Rhaenyra speaking to the younger Rhaenyra. It made me think of. I don't want to spoil it too much because it's great. But Star Trek: Strange New Worlds has a future version, younger version conversation in the season that just ended, and that's Star Trek. It can do the optimistic um, version of "I've come to help you avoid X," whereas with you know Rhaenys and Rhaenyra. It's I'm cautioning you about X, but am I helping you avoid it or am I hindering your potential to overcome what I was unable to overcome, not for fault of me, but for society? And so it it made me think a lot. It's hard to not think of timely things when you're watching these shows. Big decision got made here in America. And there was a lot of because I suffered, you should have to suffer, too, Mm -hmm. that came along with that. There was a lot of, well, I paid, so why don't you pay? And people listening, you know, it's mm-hmm. very hard to look at the news and figure out what I'm talking about. But it's the it's the whole idea of does generational trauma get broken and healed or does generational trauma get passed down and fester and become generational trauma? And, 
you know, spoiler alert for Game of Thrones, flaw trauma. Um, so this this family is not uh, they're not going to solve things by the end of House of the Dragon in the way that we might want them to. But there's a tragedy there, too. You talked about mentors, Rachel. I'm not a woman. I haven't uh, you know experienced this. So I can only see it from the outside. But I have on that base level seen a lot of the is this person in the industry going to be somebody that wants to see the industry grow or are they going to want to protect their own spot? And so that's that's a whole thing that happened. Like. Like Ken, always ready to kill me at any mm-hmm. moment. Ken is always ready to overthrow mm-hmm. me yeah. and make sure that I'm gone. Yeah. Give me my dragon uh, no. egg. Give me my dragon egg. <laughs> Eats the dragon egg. No, but it's, yeah, but it's it's just a, a really just haunting human scene in the way that you're able to see. Like in that moment, Millie Alcock's delivery of you. <laughs> it was all this or was it you? And that's the, you're my dad's cousin. You ain't my mother. I can step to you a little bit and I outrank you and I'm the more important of the princesses here in this here. Uh, it's not even a hallway on this balcony. Um, and so I thought that that was so powerful because who amongst us hasn't a been passed up for something and then held the bitterness. But there's there's the the fact that humans can hold two ideas at once. It can be based on principle and personal at the same time. And a lot of people think that it's either or and it's not rainy says i'm angry that the world is this way and i'm angry that it's not me and those things can coexist and corrupt each other and i think that that's a very um it's a very martin idea he loves that stuff of, it it's it's both it's all it's also both more often than not yeah and i think you're right rachel it all does go to that big you you, you got the title word for the episode worth worth mm-hmm. and renera kind of tells rainy's here's what your worth might be it's cold yeah yeah, and and with Corlys, Corlys, Corlys and Rainey's Corlys is their ship name, evidently. Um, they they see their daughter, poor sweet young child, as a bargaining chip, as the worth of, of of their house. They only see that as a math equation of two houses of old, old Valyria, same origin story. Corlys gives a little bit more of that background later on when he's making the effort to connect with Damon. Um, and form this this alliance of of rock stars that I'm sure we're going to see uh, mess up a, 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 a was a crab what's his name a crab something crab feeder crab feeder crab feeder, <laughs> crab feeder. that's a that's an unsettling yeah. mask and yes and they really design. went for the, the whole <laughs> horror aspect on that one I was like, okay yeah. that's a look that's that's going to scare children who sneak into the room and start watching this oh yeah oh yeah so uh, but yeah and, a- i mean in that it was you get to see sort of how he has calculated this and to tie it all the way back to what you said rachel about how the two parents there approach it differently what is that what your father told you is that what your mother told you his is all the worth of the house, the legacy, the right move, this and that. You even get Viserys later on, like, can I ask for your uh, unbiased opinion? Right. And that unbiased opinion entirely falls in line mm-hmm. with, mm-hmm. with Corliss. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, there's a personal bitterness too. He can not He can only have Corliss at arm's distance. And that's those are his choices, arm's distance or really close, like Corliss wants. He can't fully get rid of him because he is family. Mm-hmm. So it's a very messy situation. Very. Yeah, and I, um, Corliss, on behalf of his wife, is holding the grudge that she wasn't named queen. Mm-hmm. And at this stage, I think they've mentioned it, they're the richest house in Westeros. Like, yeah. the Lannisters haven't gotten there yet. Like, the um, uh, yeah. the reach, like, none of them 
come close to what Corliss did in his nine journeys. And he talks about, he built, he actually is the reason why Driftmark was built, like the seat Mm. of his house. Um, So he's coming from a different perspective in that sense too. And then everybody's jockeying for power. That's the Game of Thrones way. Everybody you have, it's like the hierarchy was interesting to look at Mm. in this episode because everybody is saying Rhaenyra to her father or about her father. He's the king, so blah, blah, blah. Like his duty is this. He's got to do this, the order of things. Um, And then you have all of Hightower who is Mm. definitely scheming, but he's doing it more quietly. Whereas... Corliss is just, he's, he's a warrior. He's upfront about things. He's putting this out there. This I'm jockeying for the same thing Hightower is, but I'm being more forthright about it. Yeah. And so those slights and cause they were talking about, even when Kristen Cole was chosen to be the King's guard based on experience, whereas Otto's like, you got to consider the Malister mm-hmm. guy because mm-hmm. they did this. And she's like, no, like the, these are the little political reasons and ins and outs of this yeah. kind of life that she's kind of like just wants to drive right through much in the way like Danny, like we're talking about somebody who's kind of interested in breaking the wheel here. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then oh, yeah. you have, and I think honestly, like Corliss Blarian, when I read all of these, there's became one of my favorite characters. And yeah, that's yeah. why I really hope we get the, the prequel, the nine voyagers yeah. of his and everything. But like, he's also a doer. A, he's an experienced person and he's brought a lot of worth, not just to his house, but to Westeros. And now, he wants his due and that's an understandable sort of viewpoint so it all kind of wraps up in the idea of you have a king you have all these people trying to figure out what their worth is to him to the realm to each other who's got more power um and then the yeah. here's another funny to, to me anyway is in the final scene corliss is talking to damon and damon's saying all kinds of crap about his brother and then corliss does yeah. and he's like i can talk about my brother like that you can't. you can't. So there's a hierarchy there too. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's oh, always people trying oh, to yeah. find out where they exist with who would with in whatever room they're around. That um, felt like uh do not forget you're married in. Like, yeah. Right. All right. <laughs> yeah. We are, we are blood. All right. That's my guy to pick on mm-hmm. um, because he is motivated by love. And that's the thing that by a certain love. And that's yeah. what fascinates me so much about Damon is that he's, he's just acting on his worst instincts. When you realize that everything that he'd written was a ruse and was only a hypothetical um and that he was just being just stirring the pot just Mm because and and just to reassert himself it was all showboating and and there's that that line in game of thrones and in the show of the doers and the thinkers and Mm -hmm. the hypotheticals versus the people that actually are and you saw that a lot with early season one stuff like the reason why ned one of many reasons why ned didn't coalesce with the rest of the council by that point is because they were all hypothetical thinkers none of them warriors and you see the way that warriors and thinkers don't sort of coalesce even in this era with somebody like Corliss because it's not that Otto didn't suit up and step up when called he did Um, but you can tell Otto didn't draw a sword exactly (laughs) didn't draw a sword kept his helmet under his arm looking the part but he's way more comfortable in those small council scenes, it makes complete sense why Reese was reading mm-hmm. Charles Dance's dialogue for the definition because he pulled a Charles Dance at the end of that marriage announcement when he shot Corliss that little look. That was one of the nastiest looks 
so yeah. much so much just like checkmate energy behind that. Yeah, I was just like, I win this round. Yeah. Now, oh, now yeah. what are you gonna do? Oh, oh, you're gonna run to Damon. That's oh, what yeah. you're gonna do. <laughs> I even put a note that the Corliss uh, versus Otto is a Westerosi Cold War that I'm just loving. <laughs> and I gotta say, because I love Corliss too. If you read him, you love him. I think if you're familiar with him, you love him. And if you probably see him now, you're starting to really love what Steve Toussaint's doing with it. But I, I kind of came in the series wanting to root for Otto Hightower just because I like old grumpy dudes with beards, you know, you know, and I didn't think Corliss would be grumpy, just be a little more like a warrior. And uh, I'm having trouble uh, rooting for Otto, which is, I think it means the show is working and doing its magic there. Uh, yeah. 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 It's already made me think like favorites that I thought I was going to have going in. I knew Damon was going to be my guy. I'm a Matt Smith guy. I was an easy sell. I, I like... <laughs> I like My Chemical Romance. I like Scar from The Lion King. It was all going to, it just fell in line for me. But the people that I, outside of that, that I thought I was going to gravitate toward, it's really thrown me for a loop. I will say characters that we're not talking about a lot. Uh, it's Grandmaster, is it Melos? Melos. Melos. Yeah. And Lord Strong yeah. and Lord Beesbury. I don't like any of those guys. I will say. <laughs> not like one them. of them do I like. Breesbury has the best reactions. He's yeah. uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's father in Fleabag. Yeah. Um, that's where I know him from. And every single time there's a Damon update, he's like, oh, seven hells. <laughs> like, he's, he's just there to guffaw yeah. so far. I love, um, I love good guffaw. Maybe it's the lingering taste of Picel, but I just don't trust Mellos. So I don't no. know what it is. No. Uh, Rachel, what else is jumping out? Do you hear theme scenes? Uh, where do you want to go next here? Because there's still some room to discover and uh, talk about and discuss. Sure. Um, a lot of them kind of are yeah. intermixed, which is why I love that, that we, you know, exactly. we always do this, but like, you know, this idea of worth and hierarchy and, and the way things are and everything like really leads, lends itself to the idea of choices, which mm -hmm. is always something that's happening. Um, it was always happening in Game of Thrones too, and why people are making choices. It's to, to jockey for position and everything else. But I find Viserys is just such a, I mean, Pat, Patty Considine's doing amazing, yeah. but like he is very clearly the guy who doesn't want to make any harsh decisions, as we yeah. said, doesn't want to drag the realm into war because look what his um, grandfather did. And, you know, th isn't this what I'm supposed to be doing? And, you know, people are telling him plain facts to his face. And, and he's that guy that's just like, don't want to see it, don't want to see it. Like, yeah. actually, let's focus on this because this is good or, or, or whatnot. But I, his dynamic with Damon is so great because the only time he makes somewhat rash or knee jerk decisions or choices, it's when Damon pushes. Yes. So the air for the day, he turns around and this is actually mm. all together. Um, yeah. Rhaenyra wonders if her father really chose her to be the heir or did she choose her to spurn his brother right. and that's Brightly. like so it, it's it's important to to try to think where was patty Constantine coming from with that mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. we know there's an underlying layer now with the with the dream but there's all these other factors too including viserys's personality the man was never meant to be king yeah he just wasn't yeah like he wasn't he, he didn't he seek didn't it out have the temperament yeah. for it the guy should have been a yeah. maester like yeah. and it, he's it, dealing it, with a new Throne delivered injury. Yeah. Now mm -hmm. every episode, cut on the back. Gets a now the, I'm assuming it's the same finger, finger cut. Finger. Oh, the maggots uh, will hopefully stop the advancing rot. I've been like, <laughs> okay, hit us over the head with a bat with the symbolism. Symbolism. I was like, yeah. okay, you know, the maggots aren't going to clear anything. The maggots. Uh, I, in my mind, at, by the end, I was like, the maggots were the 
only winners in this episode. They're the only people that what, they got anything that they wanted. What what I love about this because occasionally I get it. The the inside the episodes afterwards are a little sometimes pedestrian. They're like pointing at the screen, going, "Hey, here's what we put in the scene." And I we we discuss themes all the time here. Uh, but I, I, you know, a lot of people don't. They see things and they engage things on the surface, which is totally fine. So I love that this is now a runner, almost like a sketch runner in a comedy show on how bad the injuries on Viserys are going to get from the throne. And, and we're all going, the throne is, ki- power is killing this man. And people might be surprised when suddenly he's gone. I didn't, how, oh, why? Yeah. I love what it's It makes doing. me wonder which king, I mean, in HBO's Game of Thrones, there's the reduction of the amount of swords that are there around it by the yeah, time of somebody was like getting yeah. probably like egg on the fourth. I'm too fat and like yeah. Which, which king was like get rid of them? Get rid <laughs> of them. Can we do just a chair? Is just a chair possible? Can we get a cushion. Um, Can we get a cushion on this, please? Anyone? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. Oh, it's it's yeah. it's perfect. I mean, and it's yeah. a it's it's an amazing sort of visual cue in the way that Game of Thrones has sort of. Has sort of given us before, um, it, especially with this family going all the way to you know the Amelia Clark and the Amelia Clark. Mm-hmm. They're the, the same as her character, They're the same Daenerys person, Targaryen, right? uh, doing the the bath scene of I'm unaffected by the heat and all those yeah. things. Like those are the things that I think are fantasy in, in a way that is, I think, accessible for the viewers that mm-hmm. are returning because it's Game of Thrones. Like non fantasy fans that are Game of Thrones fans, they, this mm-hmm. is their one thing. That's the kind of thing that I think they did really well in the first show and they're doing really well here. Yeah. Um, somebody had asked us on Twitter, I should have saved the ad, I apologize to that person, but they asked us, do we think that there's going to be creatures from Martin's mythology and like the world of ice and fire that had been gone that we might see in this that like by way of like giants and things like that? And I and I don't think so, but I think that these sort of visual motifs that are kind of fantasy, kind of not, like does the throne actually do this to the unworthy mm. or is it just a perception thing it's that that's fitting to me mm. love it yeah i think that, that with um all the callbacks to valyria we get certain senses to like the blood mages and yeah. and right. you know they're, they're not talking about it in any specificity but even just to say that word you know mm-hmm. in, in mm-hmm. context and then you have the opening credits and stuff so like there's something beyond just them identifying with the dragons and dragons making them you know, uh, more than human, there's yeah. something about the blood and they mm. seem to be making a lot of, um, mm. they're pointing to that an awful lot so yeah. in, in that way. And that maybe slightly supernatural fantasy, fantastical way that they won't be able to bring in as much this season because you only have fire. We don't have ice yet. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've only seen two dragons and like, I, 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 this, this has nothing to do with anything, but it's like of all the little things I wasn't sure about going into the show and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really glad that both Cyrax and Caraxes are identifiable. Yeah. yeah. Because oh, yeah. I will say sometimes in game of Thrones, like the three of them, mm-hmm. they, they on close-ups and in good shots, you could tell they were three different colors, but they muted them so much that it yeah. was harder to tell. And we're going to have a whole lot more dragons coming and there are some really colorful dragons coming based yeah. on the book. So I really hope that they lean into that. There's yeah. who we think is Vagar in the trailers. And yeah. that design is so good. And the, and the yeah. dialogue about her, where do you think she is? Oh, I heard she set up a nest over here. And the yeah. and it's like, nah, we should leave her alone. <laughs> a little foreshadowing right <laughs> yeah. here. Yeah. Vagar. Yep. Okay. Vagar. Leave her alone. Yep. Can Absolutely. I say a quick note on the dragons? Yeah. Um, or on a dragon theory that is apparently a longstanding book thing. So 
the two of you might know, Rachel, you might have been aware of this and, and can speak to it more. So uh, I have a friend named Edgar. I mentioned him in the last episode. He's sort of, I'm joking that he's just going to be my personal maester now. He just like feeds me things. He's like, well, did you know this? Like after every episode. So they mentioned Dreamfire. Which egg did you steal? And that's obviously a huge personal affront in the same way that almost worse than air for a day. Now I'm stealing literally from the cradle of the baby, you know, and it's, uh, I have this egg, this Dreamfire's egg. People theorize that Dreamfire is also the mother of Drogon and, and uh, Rhaegal and Viserion because apparently, yeah, so apparently in Fire and Blood, um, Elisa Farman stole them during the reign of Jaehaerys, stole three dragon eggs um, yeah. from Dreamfire, and then they were never accounted for, and then all of a sudden, three more here. So yeah. it'd be fun if Dreamfire is seen and it looks like a different colored Drogon or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, Elisa Farman's a wonderful character that uh, we'd love to see more of, you know, in, in, in some kind of spinoff show, right? Yeah. Um, one of the things I want to, I want to get, talk about, uh, you guys are just saying the great things. I, I, I love that. I love, what do you, what do you guys interpret uh, this as? Viserys not believing the glory of old Valeria can be seen again. And what is that? Is that a comment, Rachel, on him as a king is, is maybe like, well, you could make it if you choose to do or do that. Or, or it's just that a more evidence of him just, uh, he should have just been a toy collector <laughs> and not a king. <laughs> Yeah, I think that it's, it's, there's, you know, with the Targaryens, you, it, it, when you learn about all the different rulers that led all the way up to Danny and their different temperaments yeah. and what was considered very Targaryen was proactive, athletic, um, the paragon of, of, of being at the forefront. Like I thought they'd make a slightly bigger deal of Viserys not going to Dragonstone and facing his brother because right. most Targaryen kings would you know, rule from the front and that's what Aegon did and, and the conqueror and whatnot. So it's sort of interesting in that way, but I, I get the sense because Jaehaerys is this bookworm is this history person, maester like, and all mm-hmm. this stuff that we still only know as much as the characters and Martin has given us about Valyria, but yeah. every tidbit has hinted at the fact that this is like, like modern times, you know, like like stuff that we in in our world couldn't even conceive of. Like that's how advanced they were. Yeah. And yeah. you know, and if you're a student of history, not only are you a student of the doom, you're also a student of, you know, Aegon coming over and the conquering, and then followed by two very inept reigns. One, you know, just by an inept King Aenys, and one by the monster Magor. So like he's aware that what it would take to get that. Mm. would it's just not possible with what we're working with here yeah. <laughs> in yeah. the world with the people that are yeah, around that. them and everything mm. um and i also think he's idealized yeah Valeria in his mind yeah. because you know it, it's where they came from it was supposedly the height and everything else but the things that like again conquerors winners tell stories winners write the books and everything yeah. else but the valerians were horrific slavers mm-hmm. and like like decimated whole regions and and people and and you know were not exactly what you would call benevolent yeah and so like they're they're not all great and there was a doom and there was a doom for a reason so like it's interesting to me that like he looks at it as this this model literally and figuratively of like 
what was great and everything else, but we can never go back to that. Mm-hmm. Um, nor should yeah. we probably. Yeah. 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 There's no, something interesting. There's something interesting to be said for, it's an idea that I've been like looking into and sort of studying a lot as of late with, you know, just friends talking about internet culture and, and the way that people are and without getting all like super political about it, the general idea of how dark times now and people pushing agendas of evil and of oppression build a lot of that and not to say Viserys is doing that, but they build a lot of that upon a nostalgia for a time that never existed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, your super idealized fifties and forties back when men were men and back when everyone was happy and everyone had a great, everyone was having barbecues and which was not a thing. And, mm-hmm. and so we have seen that time and time again, that we can always point to remember when it was great and, and we uh, wash everything away through victories and through conquerors and through history books. And it's sort of tragic to see somebody that wants to look elsewhere like him he has like sort of a Mm -hmm. uh wistfulness about him as he's working on this model he doesn't even build it himself he just likes it he likes having it he really that made that made him more relatable to me i don't want to put together (laughs) legos i like a completed lego set show it to me um that's how i am and i'm not a build a figure person i just just want to buy it i like the black series um and but so there's that whole idea of i'm trying to escape into something and so i'm Mm -hmm. latching on to these pieces of it but we know within the entire context of, of adding Game of Thrones to it that this is the, if not the beginning of the downfall, it's definitely the beginning of the Twilight era for lots of institutions and lots of families. And, you know, it's the, look at the Valerians. It's yeah. the beginning of the twilight of your richness <laughs> and of your spot as number one in wealth. Uh, by the time of the Game of Thrones, the Night's Watch is pitiful yeah. and it is you know, a shell of its former self. Uh, the maesters, you've got a guy like Pycelle who manages to be grand maester and have, you know, the ear of several kings. And he's a horrible example of what they do. Yeah. And you look at House Targaryen and can they ever create X, Y, and Z about Obelira? We know that they won't. But to have the question posed to Viserys here and to see the way that he answered, like, do you mean at its height or do you mean at its end? Mm-hmm. And, and the fact that he answered that question there speaks to a thoughtfulness in his character that I really appreciate. Yeah. Because he he does like to listen and he does appreciate perspectives. I mean, you see it with the way he received Allison. Like before the six months of flirtation and machinations, he was grieving and she shows up with a book. He could have sent her away, but he does appreciate knowledge and and a certain amount of um, openness. Mm-hmm. So what does it say about him? Does it make me think that he's unfit? Not necessarily, but we know he is. And so it's like we're informing sort of our, our reads of things with this knowledge that... Yeah we can't get there because this world is inherently different. Westeros, this, this continent is inherently different mm-hmm. and you can't try to make it something that it's not, you know, you, you yeah. made Aegon made the Starks kneel. He made this house kneel. He made this house kneel, all these different regions. Um, but there's something else. That's why there is a, a God's wood in every major location. It's, it's mm-hmm. just an entirely different thing. You can't make it something else. And that's something that will be a, a sin that trickles down all the way. Love it. Yeah. Good stuff. And stuck in the good old days. Yeah. That's the, the danger of the good old days is definitely something uh, we can relate to there. Uh, big stuff there. One thing I want to talk, I thought Missaria had a great moment here. She's an interesting yeah, character. Yeah. Uh, I put this under the fear and the privilege of not having, having it section of the show, which uh, Corliss 
as rich and powerful as he is, does address a little bit of that of, you know, we were not only is he a second son, but uh, Valarian's kind of uh, viewed as a, maybe a second class family back when they came from. They had a scrape of that living. But Masaria had a, I loved everything about it. I loved the read. I love what you were talking about earlier, Alden, of, of Damon sending some uh, uh, text messages that I'm now going to call, when I send text messages, I'm going to send missives. Uh, I, I love that use of it. <laughs> from, uh, um I love, I love that he was lying. I love that, you know, because we talked about last week with the dream and the Aegon's dream and how, you know, the, the final test for Anera was what do you see when you see this, this skull of Beleriand? What do you see? And, and her great answer, yeah? You, you and I were talking with Andres last week, Alden, that she can dig into the themes of a television show and doesn't just watch it on the surface. Where media literacy. Media literacy. And Damon's like, dragons, badass. And he flies off. He set up shop. He's on Dragon's Zone. He's a threat. But it, it's all based on hubris, a little bit of lies, a little bit of gamemanship, a little bit of just chaos, a uh, little bit of using a family tradition to create some kind of uh, problems and get everyone over, all those kind of wonderful things. But I, I thought that was all great. But I thought the, the looks on her face when she's realizing she's a pawn in this game, she's been lied to, he's doing all those things. And the answer of, I wanted you to liberate me from what? Fear. Fear. And, and how this story is about upstairs and you can't forget the downstairs in this land, especially in this story, especially with some of the things that might be coming down the pipeline. So I love that moment. Rachel, you seem to love it too. What's your thoughts on Masari and what she said and what she's uh, doing so far? It it was twofold. um, But in terms of what happened in the scene and everything else, um, she's so important in the way I'm not, you know, paralleling one-to-one, but like why we had Shay and why we had Braun. Right. You Mm -hmm. need you know, not everybody is in this privileged position where you're all jockeying for power. You all have money. You all have some power in in, in some vein, yeah. but there is an entire world that you're in charge of yeah. that doesn't have any of that. And they have to use whatever they can in order to potentially gain what little they, they can scrape out from their lives. And given the life she's led, I loved that we hear about it and we hear that she doesn't even remember where she came from. Yeah. You know, it's, she's been around so much and, and sold so many times and everything else. But, you know, that's a perspective because, you know, when they go to war, who's most, mm-hmm. you know, affected by that, the small folk, the, the, yeah. the, the, the everyday people. So we need more of them in this story. And I think she's definitely a mm-hmm. piece of that. Um, and I love the specificity of being liberated in, in, in being liberated from fear. And I think, and I hope that that speaks to more of the, what the character is in the books. Cause she mm-hmm. isn't quite where I thought she would be based on that. And I know yeah. that, you know, adaptations and I shouldn't get my standards and hopes and everything up to a certain extent. Well, keep your, sta- no, a- keep your standards up, Rachel. Keep those standards up. <laughs> <laughs> well, she has some really, really interesting yeah, things that she does in the book and talk mm-hmm. about potential fantasy level stuff and, and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. And I'll be curious to see if we ever kind of lean into some of that mm-hmm. with her or if she develops that or we see it. Or I'm not really sure yet, but in terms of bringing Damon down to earth a little bit and, you know, his his she's like, you're a Targaryen. So it doesn't matter what you do. You're yeah. still a Targaryen. You think you're falling out of favor and everything else, but you're still here. Well, the rest of us are still here. Like yeah. having mm-hmm. that juxtaposition and that reminder to him, I think is is very important as it is a reminder to us as the audience. 
Yeah, well, well said indeed. Yeah, just Otto kind of spitting out uh, his thoughts about her to her. Kind of, you can see that. Uh, yeah, I'm back where I always uh, was, fearful of my own survival. I don't care about the station, the the money, the titles, all that stuff. Uh, this is where I wanted to go. Uh, Alden, your reactions to uh, Masaria so far? I, I loved this performance. I, I the specifically just the the acting, the pain, the the resolve that she was able to convey in the scene. And and Rachel, to your point, like your problems are not the same problems as my problems is a very human thing that we got to see explored. Uh, like you said, through Braun, through Shay, um, even people that had made it to court, like mm-hmm. Varys and Baelish still had the perspective of being poor boys that mm-hmm. came from nothing. Uh, Varys in particular from extreme trauma and being maimed and mutilated and, and experiences that, no one else in court could ever speak to. And even though he had made it to that position on the council was always looked down upon. And so even if you're there with somebody um, of note, you are still the outsider. And it's Mm. something that we see later on with Rob Stark and Talisa or with uh, Mm. Danny showing up at Winterfell toward the end of game of Thrones. It's the, we will always consider you to be different. And what those people that know that they are playing with a different uh, set of cards, you know, that they were just mm-hmm. dealt and how they're supposed to deal with these problems. It was a nice moment um, to explore those ideas. It wasn't nice, but it was nice for the <laughs> yeah, viewers. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it also, it showed, I don't know if empathy, but it showed that Damon was at least willing to hear her out to a certain degree. He didn't, you know, cause it, so far it's like how explosive is the Matt Smith characterization going to be? And he didn't get up and backhand her and tell her to get into her place. Like maybe someone like Balon Greyjoy would have done, you know, someone really just horrible or Walter Frey, you know, he's not like, he's not that, but he, so he's, he's open to absorb ideas, but we've also seen that she has to play her own game. She has to, she was the one that egged him on for air for a day. You know, she, he was content to just drink and be sad about the way things were. And then probably, Mm-hmm. have sex and leave mm-hmm. um but she it was there sort of like well what about this and now he's overstepped and she has to rein him in so there's a lot of back and forth that sort of reminded me of melisandre and stannis of like i need to position this guy but i also and frankly everything reminds me of melisandre because i just adore her but at the, but it's just uh it's like everyone's giving and taking even the people that don't seem like they're in power are still able to maneuver something you know because if she plays her cards right she has the power of Caraxes at her back. You know, it, it's it's a delicate thing. Um, she can't let him do bombastic things like send that message that will disrupt the flow. But she also does need to gas him up to keep what they have going. Yeah, she's still there. She's still in the game. Uh, love it, love it, love it. Uh, any final thoughts on the big scenes here as we start to look towards next week? Ends with this wonderful scene. I thought this episode had a great amount of tension all the way through. Uh, you know, you're waiting for violence to explode. You're waiting for action to explode. And it didn't quite get, get there. And I think we're going to get to there next week. But that's also to what you said up top, Rachel. They got so much tension just out of the conversations. Uh, and I thought that was one of my favorite things. So any final thoughts uh, on some of the bigger moments there, Rachel? Um, just, you know, to play on that, I think that sometimes episodes like this will get the disservice of somebody saying it's like a a place setting episode, like maneuvering all the pieces and everything else. Mm -hmm. And while it's true in a sense, it still stands on its own because 
I mean, look, there are some people that just want to watch it for the blood and violence. I get it. And the dragons. Um, But most of us want to feel something one way or the other, even if it's conflict about the characters. And you can't do that if you don't give those characters the moments to develop, to show their perspectives to each other, you know, in varying circumstances, all of that. So this, I love this episode because it was doing all of that while still not just being talky, talky, talky. Like there is tension. Mm -hmm. There is, you know, what's going to happen. There's this, you know, hope for one thing and then you know wait what are they doing with the 12 year old and like but and now what, what's rainy saying to to rainier and like on all of mm-hmm. these pieces so there's still so much going on it's stuff does happen it's just no sword fights this time yeah. um yeah. but those are just as important and um and in general like there was many quotes um yeah, in the episode and we sort of said it before but honestly the one that most encapsulate the idea of what we're doing in the show which is heading to the dance of the dragons is corliss valerian saying to elude the storm you can either sail into it or around it but you must never await its coming and the problem yeah. is viserys is waiting and characters around them like you mm. said whoever observed that allison just sort of working around mm. rainier is kind of going through damon's going through corliss is like i think rain is more of an around like mm. everybody is the storm's coming and so it's how they're all going to maneuver it and i just love that quote because it encapsulates mm. i think not even just this episode but like what this series is and where mm. we're going with it so. love that love that yeah. love that stuff uh putting it all together there alden take it home uh your final thoughts on this episode yeah, that's also a really great uh, unintentional subtweet of House Stark as well. Uh, winter is coming. Yeah, well, what, and and, uh, and, and what else? Uh, but yeah, I think that this episode, um, like we talked about, worth as that key idea, the handling of change. It's like mm. you throw a change at people and you see the different ways that they react. The same piece of information sends a table of grown adults in completely different directions, and some of the magic that helped Game of Thrones become a phenomenon and is very present here. And then also the ideas of disruptors, like we just talked about Masaria, these people that were not in our plan, they're not in our status, they're not on our level. Someone like Kristen Cole getting, you know, this sort of, not fast track, he obviously did work hard. He talks about his experience and everything. He's a steward's kid. Yeah. Yeah, he earned it, but he's a steward's kid. And Otto's talking about his his point of view on, goals and relationships and debts and things like that. And well, this house and this house and this house, Rhaenyra sees it as merit-based, which I love her for like, no, he did this. Therefore mm-hmm. he's the most qualified, yeah. but what's not going to sit well. And the, the reason why I'm already kind of like, okay, Kristen, you had a small role in these first two, but they're making a point to show that you're not the norm mm-hmm. in the same way that Rhaenyra is not, not in the same way, but in a similar way to how Rhaenyra is not, in a similar way to how the situation going all the way back to the Great Council was not the norm. And we're seeing a house that was built a certain way now have to reconcile with a bunch of things that were not in the plan and how people don't do well when things are not in the plan. And so this guy getting into the Kingsguard now, it's like he was chosen, doesn't really come from much, and now we're going to have to deal with what is effectively a Rhaenyra choice, even if it's a small one. It's her first taste of, I have now affected the realm until he's dead. That's a lifetime appointment. Mm-hmm. And she was able to make that even though she's in her cupbearer days. And uh, I will say uh, my heart goes out to you, Renera, because we've all received the promotion that is just in name. Uh, <laughs> that gives you no more dollars per hour <laughs> or any extra benefits. So, yeah. 
Love it. Uh, well said indeed. Yeah, my final thoughts this episode. Uh, I, I look at that Renera going to Dragonstone scene uh, from uh, just the shots, the castle in the background, the clouds parting as she flew in there uh, high atop her dragon. I thought, oh, man, we are definitely home definitely home it feels like this world that we all loved and sometimes are challenged by and sometimes screamed at but we kept coming back and we come back here to it now uh it felt so good it felt so um uh it felt good and that it, it, it not always good because sometimes some of the scenes like we talked about hard to watch but we are definitely here yeah. we're off and running i agree with you rachel yeah pieces are being moved around the board of course of course that's functional but uh deep inside this episode are the foundations of the story that is uh, playing out in front of us, and it was a lot of fun to watch. So like, it looks like we're going to explode into some violence next week, though, Rachel, uh, as we close. Uh, what, are you ready for uh, some crabs? You ready for some crabs to uh, get burned? I sense a time jump, another one. Big time jump. How are we feeling? <laughs> we like these t- I like these time jumps. No, I, they have to. Like, you can't yeah. tell this story without that because you there are so yeah. many players that have to still be born <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to, for this to all go. Um, but uh, I just, I was like, the, the next on, and it's like, Aegon will be king. I'm like, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're like, okay, uh, she had a boy. Like, she married him, she had a boy. Like, that's out in the open, that's happening, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. I thought that was kind of funny in a, in yeah. a way. Um, but also... I, I thought the show might try to make a big deal out of the Stepstones and um, the Triarchy and, and Damon yeah. and Corliss and everything else because we're still pretty far removed from the actual dance and actual yeah. battles and whatnot. And, you know, Game yeah. of Thrones yeah. loves their battles and, and this is where you can do it. And again, like I said earlier, the look that we got at the Stepstones and um, the Crab King and yeah. all of that, like that looks terrifying yeah <laughs> so i feel it's like gross. that is going to be like a, a a great battle set piece that is going to have elements because we used to say in game of thrones all the time how they're gonna top themselves how they're gonna make them this right, whatever right. the next battle is different from all the other ones that came before and it looks like they're doing that with yeah. this too so i'm excited to see that because this is definitely one of the themes in general is that like this is an era this is the this, this everybody's a, a child of summer you yeah. know, nobody's mm-hmm. seen war yeah. or very few people have. Mm-hmm. And so we're finally going to get some action and that's going to test some people and also allegiances and things of that nature. So, yeah. um, I think we'll, we'll, if you, if you really were missing a big action, set piece type thing, I think we're going to get you yeah. fill, um, or at least start to next week. If your get... name is Miguel Sapochnik and you love to direct action, you are, <laughs> I, I'm convinced that he said, wait, when does the dance happen? Yeah. But I what think, about uh... this small thing here? Can I do that? <laughs> Actually, it's Yatini's that is directed next week. So maybe, oh, okay, but cool, yeah, cool, cool. But Miguel's got some stuff coming, but yeah, no, I looked that I think up. It goes a couple episodes. I don't think yeah. they'll do step stones in one episode. Yeah, yeah. Could be, could be. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah. I love it. There's, you said that the, the, everyone's kind of a, a night of summer here. And I just keep thinking of Catelyn Stark for they are the nights of summer and winter right. is coming. Yeah. Uh, I love that stuff. So there. good. It's uh, a all, great thing. Yeah. All uh, real quick, week. just before we get out, yeah. I did, I did want to ask Rachel, you specifically being a, Ace Eddie Award nominated editor. Do you do you like the way that this is moving? Because I do, but I also don't have the language to to articulate maybe why I think that. Because again, I, at the beginning, I talked about the comparison to like season seven, season eight, and like the meat is no longer in travel, mm-hmm. and like how you said, certain players now 
now we're doing even bigger jumps in between episodes Mm -hmm. during how is that all sort of playing for you because you can really like unpack it right the thing with i think sometimes in game of thrones we conflated traveling with the small scenes getting to know people which isn't necessarily the case it was right out of the gate because they were traveling from winterfell to king's landing so that sort of wasn't there was an inevitability to it that when you're on the road you're getting to know the characters they're having those interactions with each other and Mm -hmm. building those foundations that we talked about so you can build foundations with time jumps that's not a problem as long as you explain you know the time jump in such a way that like yes this is the next logical place to check in these things have been happening this whole time but nothing during that time was so crucial that we had to see it we can encapsulate it in one of these one-on-one scenes or whatnot so time jumps isn't my problem i had more of an issue in the later seasons were was the way that they did the time jumps and then like ken said it best earlier today you know you you have stuff happen or and then you time jump and then you stop and you talk or you have an instance or a circumstance or whatever it is and you sit in it and you reflect on it and all this that you get all the important information rather than you know doesn't feel breakneck yeah it does, it, right. and it did it doesn't feel breakneck like by the yeah. time we get to drift mark at the end mm-hmm. you get a little bit of that sort of those visual cues that you're in a new location yep. you're yeah. by Absolutely. the fireplace you're like oh that's a that looks like it's from pirates of the caribbean too all right yeah. this must be a sea snake related location yeah. oh we're at drift mark oh this is a meeting i called you here it's very like it's a combination i guess of like the directing the editing and the and the dialogue the specific line choices to feed mm-hmm. like okay, let's have her say six months. That should be enough to get everybody sort of on board, but also dive headfirst into the me. I thought that, yeah, I thought it was great. I just knew that uh, it was definitely going to be a talking point. And I know that you can sort of speak to that better than everybody. And and I had issues with it in Game of Thrones because the way they did it was such that like, and they even, they just dug their own graves by like saying they have to travel Mm -hmm. this amount of leagues in this amount of time. I'm like, not possible as... Mm -hmm. Ken knows map junkie. I'm like, just not. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, just don't don't put a fine point on it if you really don't want to show them sailing all the way around Dorne and getting to Castle Rock. Fine, okay. Yeah. But like, there, there's just there's ways to do time jumps that doesn't make you feel like you missed anything. Yeah. And so far, two episodes so far, in, yeah. I don't oh, feel yeah. like we've missed anything. Yeah, I think they aced it for sure. And yeah, and you're right. It doesn't have the Star Wars benefit of it moves at the speed of plot. How long is it? How long would he train on Dagobah? I don't know. How long does it feel? What feels right? Doesn't have that benefit. But, uh, yeah. Good stuff there. I'll look, look at it next week. You ready for this big, uh, possibly part one of the, the crab fight? Oh, I'm ready. I, I'm ready for so much. But honestly, it, maybe this is me being trained by Game of Thrones. I'm a little sad that this uh, these nuptials are happening off screen. Um, <laughs> you want to go to a wedding. That's a, go to a wedding. That's, that's a that's a selfish thing. It means nothing about the quality. And I'm, that's not a real complaint. Yeah. But it's like we get this announcement of, She's my intended. And yeah. then Game of Thrones has trained me to think, oh, now we get to converse about can the crown pay for this oh, wedding? You just and want then, a wedding so something bad happens at the well, wedding. Something we bad happens. Generally something bad happens. And it's and it's usually just like this whole this whole build. What's gonna happen? Oh, can we afford this wedding? Who's gonna be at this wedding? What's gonna happen at this wedding? And then, like you, Rachel, I got the next time, and it's like Viserys is holding the baby, and I was like, "Oh well, okay, I guess we're playing The Sims now." Feeding we're just like, oh, yeah, there's the baby. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I'm excited for all of that. I'm really excited for the action because I love Damon, and I'm excited to see what he gets up to. Um, and just really excited for 
more uh, Viserys and and Millie, uh, Millie, yeah. Viserys and Rhaenyra, yeah. um, to see sort of the breakdown, to see sort of the how she receives this baby brother as you know, it's because he's he's replacing her, yeah. Also, kind of replacing Balon, at least from their emotional points of view. So that's going to be. I predict sadness is basically what I'm saying. Sadness. That's a good bet. That's a good bet. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see. I'm excited. Yeah, you're right. I, I, I'm really uh, loving the the younger versions of the characters, uh, but we're not yet ready to graduate high school with them yet. So we're going to spend some more time. I'm excited about that. Always a lot of fun to discuss all the deeper themes, all our favorite moments here with all of you. Uh, here we got a big week. We got Rings of Power coming at the end of this next week. We got uh, the third episode of this. Uh, I don't know if we'll do a live Q&A this week, uh, but we're going to figure it out. We're going to be doing more of those as well. Who knows? We'll pop up. Don't forget to subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, uh, ring that bell for notifications as we do some uh, YouTube exclusive videos. But don't forget to subscribe and listen to the podcast. And if you're listening right now, we really thank you for that. Leave a review if you want on Apple. Thank you all. We cracked the uh, top 200 of TV and film on the podcast side last week on Apple, which was uh, uh, a fun accomplishment for uh, this still growing podcast. So thank you all for that. I'm Ken Knapsack. You can follow me at Ken Knapsack or go to my website, KenKnapsack.com. If you're local, got a comedy show next week. Uh, so watch Rings of Power Thursday night. Get ready to go uh, watch some comedy, uh, doing some stand-up and flappers, uh, or just, you know, talk about Rings of Power. Uh, Alden, thanks as always. Uh, uh, where can they find you and all your wonderful work? Yeah, you can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z, talking Star Wars on Octo Radio, a Star Wars podcast, which is my show and two other shows on one little network there. And we're building toward Potathon on September 17th. It's 12 hours long, 15 Star Wars podcasts. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have Ryan Johnson as my guest. Um, the interview's already done. I, again, I say this with zero ego. It's all Ryan is good. Spoiler alert, the guy knows what he's talking about. He's a sweet, wonderful human being, and I'm excited for everybody to see it. Most importantly, because we're raising money for Make-A-Wish Foundation. Um, And we're already over 15% of the way there, and it's still three weeks away, which is very exciting. So everybody tune in for that. The guest list is pretty crazy. I have Ryan Johnson. Bomb Badcast has Seth Green. We have Gary Whitta. We have Shelby Young. We have possibly other people I can't talk about. Charles Soule's there. So it's going to be, yeah, like a sort of a mini digital celebration. So look forward to that. Love that. September 17th, Potathon 2022. Rachel, thank you for uh, coming back to Cashly Talk. We've just been uh, trying to find the right time. Here it is. A lot to talk about with you here. Uh, you know, I don't want to say I'm going to need to lean on you for any Lord of the Rings talk, but I still don't all the, know all the names in that world. So It's true. There might be a handful of names even I don't know. I've gleaned <laughs> that much from trailers, but I, I'm obviously over the moon for it. Yeah, so yeah. Um, I will definitely be back for some more Castly Talk and whatever happens with Rings of Power. You know, I like to geek out with you guys. And yeah. so thank you very much for having me. No, as always, Rachel, you got such great, uh, great insights into all things on the show and even behind the scenes on how to put it all together. Uh, so where can they fall? I was going to say, you know, I don't know how many podcasts you're on. You're not answering trivia questions anymore. What are no, you working on? Where, no, where can no, they follow I'm, you? I'm just a regular working editor now. But <laughs> um, but I do have a, a, a social media handle change because, you know, right. I got married. Yeah. Um, so you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Rachel Cushing Levine. That's right, folks. Uh, that is right. All right, we're out of here for this week. We'll see you next week on Casterly Talk.